Saratoga may be in the books, but we're thrilled to be partnered with Naira for the rest of 2023. Going to keep things going like they've been going, covering Saturday racing each week on the Players Podcast. We're going to have write-ups and analysis at InTheMoneyPodcast.com for free. More stuff behind the paywall, like Nick's notebooks. You can get that, InTheMoneyPodcast.com slash plus. You can find us on the Naira site under their Picks, Plays, and Promotions tab. And if you're looking to find out where you can find the America's Day at the Races coverage, we got you covered for that as well. For the full schedule, go to InTheMoneyPodcast.com slash TV. Hello and welcome to the In The Money Players Podcast. This is our show for Tuesday, September 16th, coming out of Pennsylvania Derby Weekend. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornital, back with you in the space I'm going to call Gallery 55 from now on. This is, I used to say the Brooklyn Salon when I was sitting upstairs from the bunker. The bunker's under a little bit of a renovation today, but I have this cool sign hanging up here that says Gallery 55 on it from many, many moons ago in a previous incarnation of this building when it wasn't a, a New York City co-op, but was in fact an art gallery. So that's what we're going to go with. And I'm very happy to be joined today by a woman who made some history this weekend. We'll talk about that. We're going to talk about these races as well. She's a regular on our airwaves. She's Jessica Poquette. Jessica, what's going on? PTF, just a beautiful Tuesday here in Ben Salem, another rainy day. We just see it just seems to rain all the time this month. But you know, we're here, another great day of racing, and excited to be on with you. Let's start with the with with the history as it pertains to the to the gloomy weather. We were joking before about how, you know, race callers um choice of weather is uh is is not uh, rain and and mud and and dull colors to try to pick out from the pack. For, for your history-making achievement, for those that don't know, Jessica on Saturday became the first woman, as far as I know, anywhere. Maybe you can give us an update on that stat, but to call a, a grade one race. But uh, how how hard was it having to do that under those weather conditions the other day? So it certainly wasn't easy. Calling a race is hard enough when you can see everything appropriately, but when there's driving rain, it's also dark because it's about six o'clock at night and it's the end of September and they're all covered in mud and two of them are gray horses and exactly the same dull silks. You know, there, there are certain, you know, there are certainly some challenges that come with that. How much extra preparation did you do for these big days as opposed to your typical level of preparation behind the mic? Honestly, it's the same. I think if you go into a day like this, doing anything different, you're really setting yourself up to be thrown off. Um, I, I prepare pretty heavily and pretty solidly for every day of racing. So it was the same. I mean, just with a little bit extra anxiety for as a treat. <laughs> well, you handled it with a plum. We'll talk more about you and your historic achievement a little bit later on in this segment. But I just want to start with the races themselves. And we'll begin with the Cotillion, one by ceiling crusher in wire-to-wire fashion, a 93, very solid buyer speed figure. What did you think of this effort in general? I thought she ran a terrific race. She was very game. It was a really smart ride by Edward Maldonado, just kind of capitalizing on his filly's natural cruising speed. Pretty mischievous. I mean, I think she probably loses the battle and wins the war. She ran a terrific race, all things considering. I do think the track was a little bit 
you know, favorable to speed on a day like that where the track is very sealed. There's continuous rain. It is going to play, I think, in the favor of a front runner, but take nothing away from Ceiling Crusher's performance. She was tremendous. I think that sounds about right to me. It did seem like speed was a little bit more of an advantage than usual. Is that a typical thing with the with those type of weather conditions at parks where it just a little makes it a little bit harder for those horses to run through the kickback or is it more of a surface thing do you think in terms of how it appeared to favor speed? How would you how would you describe how it played on Saturday as opposed to how it typically plays uh, on a day-to-day basis? I think that's typically how a track's going to play when it takes a ton of water and gets sealed kind of as tightly as it can be to save the track. So, you know, when you are just getting pummeled with weather, uh, this is a track that I do think plays typically a little bit deep and a little bit heavy. So sealing it does certainly quicken it up a little bit. Pretty Mischievous has a pretty great looking resume at this point in the year, just looking at raw accomplishments. And it'll be interesting to see if these two uh, end up in, in a rematch for uh, a race, I don't know, the Distaff uh, certainly uh, comes to mind as uh, as one potential place where they might uh, turn up. Any any other thoughts on any other runners in this field or, or where we might see them uh, a little bit later on in the year? I wouldn't count out a cult. I thought she really ran a dynamite race on a track that really probably didn't suit her. She came from pretty far out of it and was really storming down the center of the track. A uh, very strong effort from her. And she's one who seems to be just developing and improving at exactly the right time. It'll be interesting to see. I think that there is that opportunity for some of these runners to cut back Philly and Mare Sprint or to stretch out till the distaff will be covering, of course, Breeders' Cup distaff and all the Breeders' Cup races in uh, full. And really, the coverage kicks into high gear this week. Those are the kind of questions we'll be looking at between now and the first weekend in November. Let's talk about the race that uh, gives the day its name, the Pennsylvania Derby. Saudi crown, once again, a front-running victory. It was interesting. I wasn't so sure of the form of the Jim Dandy uh, based on the Forte run back in the Travers, but Saudi Crown did some stuff for the form here. Very impressive winning with a 105 buyer speed figure. This was racehorse time. Um, ends up winning just a half over Dreamlike. How do you uh, separate these runners going forward? Uh, I mean, I think Saudi Crown, the best is yet to come for him. He is a serious racehorse who's just getting better and better. To me, he looked like the winner from the moment I saw him in the days leading up to the race, especially on a track like this. He is kind of a light-bodied, sort of catty type of horse, and he's going to just get over any sort of sloppy, muddy, boggy going. I think a little bit better than these big, heavy horses. Like, Reincarnate is massive. I was actually really struck by how big and not clunky he is, but like he's just, there's a lot of him. And I think sometimes those horses really struggle in heavier going. I think that's fair. And this is an effort where you look at the horses that were with Saudi Crown early. You know, it's one thing when you see a conveyor belt type race, if you want to add on or deduct points from the winner for being aided by the track. But when you finish first and the horses that were with you end up, you know, out of the money and then almost all the way back to last in the form of, of Scotland, and maybe you can be a little bit more impressed by it. But I think you can also use that to say, hey, in future efforts, maybe Dreamlike can find that uh, that half a length. What, what did you think of Dreamlike in general here? Do you think he could hang with a runner like Saudi Crown going forward? I think he could wind up having his day at some point, for sure. He's one that, that certainly impressed me in a way I wasn't expecting. And he, cl- I mean, he closed. It was a smart ride. He almost got there. It was a really thrilling finish. 
Excellent. Good stuff. Um, any other highlights on the day? I mean, there was a, a load of stakes races. What else did you really enjoy? Anything that uh, that particularly surprised or impressed you in any of the other races we saw? Oh, Damon's Mound. Damon's Mound. That made me happy on like 17 different levels. I'm such a Michelle Lovell fan. I'm such a Damon's Mound fan. And then when you get to call a horse that you really, really like, it just it was such a thrill and I have to kind of take the approach. I mean, I don't, I, I do gamble. I don't gamble on races I'm calling um, right. because I, for me, I, you know, you don't want to have any actual rooting. So, yeah. yeah. So, but for, but then sometimes these horses come up that you're really a fan of and it's almost the same thing. So I had to like really like mentally separate that he was even <laughs> in the race, in the race. So he's in the lead in my, like, in the back of my brain is going, yes, this is amazing. And I'm like, no, maybe he, like it was, it was a really kind of weird balance to, to toe the line. And I'm sure one thing, and I know some people like it and some people don't, I smile a lot when I'm calling, this is fun. This is a fun job. I'm, this is great. And I know you can hear it. And I think you could definitely hear it when Damon's Mount had the lead. Oh, it's only appropriate. It's only appropriate on these big days, especially when we get these great stories. Uh, what surprised you the most? What What were you not expecting that you maybe felt behind the mic? Maybe you already answered that with the last answer, but I'm, I'm just curious to probe a little bit more on that. Um, it was a good exercise for me on Saturday. This was, you know, the first truly big day. And on the big days, you do have added distractions. You have lots of well-wishers and visitors and friends coming up to the booth, and that's great. And for me, it was kind of figuring out how to balance that and then be like, okay, now get the hell out of my booth. I need to focus. Because <laughs> you, know, you want to be gracious and take time for everyone, um, especially when they're coming, you know, to wish you well and to see you. That you want to make time for everybody, but then you also have to kind of like advocate for yourself a little bit and be like, now go away. Yes, yes. I've seen that before. Many race caller friends and the, I feel bad. They'll, it'll almost seem like they feel bad when they tell you, you know, come back and, you know, come back after the race, come back in 10 minutes. But it's like, don't feel bad at all. Like we're intruding on, we, I think everybody knows when they go see a race caller, um, whether it's through a, a charity thing that they, that they happen to donate or were you lucky enough like us to be in the business and, and know some of these people? It's, it's a, it's a privilege to be, to be there in that position to wish you to wish you well and nobody's going to feel bad when it's time to uh start studying the colors or go over the pronunciations or whatever it is you have to do in those last minutes you are somebody who i know has close friendships with a number of race callers was there a particular piece of advice you were given ahead of this historic day that particularly resonated with you uh, I mean, someone told me to really take a moment and enjoy it and not get too caught up in kind of the nerves and the atmosphere and all of it. And that was really, that's always a good reminder, I think, in everything we're doing in life to take a moment and just appreciate how cool this is. We all started as fans. And for those of us that have the huge opportunity to get to work in this industry, take a moment and step back and go, wow, this is, this is spectacular. Did it? Now, I'm sure you feel that anytime it's a big day of racing, but was it, did the historical impact of, of what you were doing play into that? I mean, did you, did you appreciate the fact that you were making history as this was going on? You know, the real story is the horses, the horses are the star of the show, me getting to have like a tiny footnote in the history books for, you know, for the sport that we've devoted our life to is a tremendous honor, but I was just trying not to think too much about that until it was over. I mean, just, show up and call the races and rise to the occasion. And then, 
after the cotillion, then I had a brief moment of, oh my goodness, that was wild. Holy cow. <laughs> like you, you can never take that away. Now that that's done, that's mine. And that's, that's a, it's just a huge honor. So a frequent guest on these airwaves as well, usually in the form of uh, interrupting us at various points, but sometimes invited my 10-year-old daughter, Perrin. This is the first year she started to show a little bit of a deeper interest in racing other than a place where she gets as many free hot dogs as she wants. And I know, you know, you talk about, about being a footnote in history, but the groundbreaking aspect is real. It was really cool for me. You know, she started, pedigrees are her thing now. She'll She'll look through the race and you know, try to figure out which horse is most closely related to Secretariat. That's a little game that, that we like to play. She's loving to, you know, read articles online about history and watching old racing films and, and all this stuff. And, you know, look, racing, we all know <laughs> we all know there's a lot of ups and there's a lot of downs. I'm not saying I want my daughter necessarily to work in racing, but when she thinks opportunities available to her and I can play her, she was, uh, we, we were at a, I was watching live. She had to watch it on a replay, but when she can watch the replay and, and hear a woman's voice calling the race, especially with her history, you know, multi-generational history of somebody who, you know, who's, uh, whose family does things in audio, you can almost see the light bulb go off in her head. I mean, that just, it means so much to me. Um, and I, and I think it, it, it means something potentially to a generation of women who might end up uh, getting involved in horse racing, whether it's behind the mic or another capacity. And one of the reasons I wanted to have you here today, my words, not yours, but was to allow you to take a victory lap for, you know, enabling that, that to happen. Well, sharing something like that with me just means the world and that those moments and being able to have that impact and to show this next generation of young girls that they have a seat at the table at any part of the sport that they want, that, you know, their dreams can never be too big. That makes every arrow, every challenge, every bit of this worth it. And it's not easy. None of this has been easy. You know, you, you get riddled with self-doubt and you know, feel bad and get frustrated throughout the process. Um, but it is all worth it because I got where I got because other women took similar arrows in different areas of the sport for us. Um, so it's, I feel like it's, you know, your duty to leave the sport a little bit better than it was when you found it, if you can. I saw the piece you did with, uh, with Brittany Erton on uh, FanDuel TV talking about, you know, some of those challenges. And, and I have to say, Jessica, this is a tribute to my extreme, um, extremely strong muting ability in social media that I hadn't seen. I hadn't actually seen uh, much of anything in the way of uh, in, in the way of criticism, but I guess you know that that does happen. Uh, and I was just th- I was thrilled to see you getting the opportunity to address some of that nonsense head on and to do it with uh, and to do it with such uh, to do it with such grace. That, that that was a cool that was a cool segment. I thought you acquitted yourself very well. And I, I again I didn't even realize in this specific incident incident that it was that it was needed. But uh, I just also wanted to say you know good job. Good job as far as that goes. And, and, you know, maybe, maybe I, you know, I'll help you find the right people to mute going forward. I think so. And the mute button's one thing, but it, I think it also, I'm blessed to have a little bit of a platform and it's not lost on me that there are some younger girls that are looking to me and watching how I react to these things. Like, and I think it's important to set this tone that it's not normal to be treated like this, but it also, you don't have to just internalize it and take it either. 
you don't have to swing back and fight every battle. I mean, you can choosing grace is often the best way, but I think too often, you know, especially for women in a professional environment, we learn early on that um, not to show any emotion because it can be misconstrued as a weakness. And I think admitting that we are sensitive and we are human and we do have feelings and there's a human behind your iPhone or whatever you're, you know, tweeting on from your mom's basement. Um, <laughs> that the, there is someone who, you know, who's reading those things and those do hurt when they are kind of constant and incessant. So I think it, I think it's important to show that there's not, you know, stoicism and weakness are not exclusive. Classic old school in the money podcast reference with the mom's basement thing there. You fit you fit right in around here. I, have I do. Say. You guys are my people. <laughs> and I love that idea of not mistaking having feelings for weakness. And I also love the thing you said in the show. You know, it didn't seem fully, fully even needed to me, but I thought it came off great that you talked about, you know, how much you still want to improve and how much you don't mind somebody offering constructive criticism. It's a question of, you know, not being yeah. freaking nasty about it. Yeah, like you don't need to comment on my appearance. You don't need to comment on some implication of how I got this, some, you know, some salacious implication of how I got this job. Though there, you know, there are things like that that are just unnecessary and uh, and ugly and vicious. And you know, but I, of course I want to be better. I, I'm not doing this because I want to be average. I've never wanted to be average in a single thing I've done in my life. Uh, that's not how a Type A plus person operates. And I do, <laughs> but I also understand that doesn't come in a month or even a year this is you know i'm playing the long game here i love it what 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 are your do do you have a further i'm sure going into this job one of the things you must have thought about is this this past weekend how much beyond this weekend have you thought i mean do you have other specific goals are you in more of a let's take it all in and, and, and evaluate going forward. But when you mentioned that whole type A plus thing, I have a sneaking suspicion. Maybe you do have an idea in the back of your head. I mean, I might, but let's enjoy the view from this mountain first before we start looking for the next one. <laughs> I love it. I only asked that because you mentioned that type A plus thing. I'm, I'm in full victory mode lap here, my friend. I really, really enjoyed getting to see that and share that and, we're going to have to have you back on. You did some tremendous work last year with our Breeders' Cup coverage, and maybe we'll do another video after this last round of preps. I think the one that we did that uh, you had some particularly brilliant ideas on was horses we're looking early on, horses we're looking forward to see run. You want to start rattling that around in your brain. We can do a, we'll, we'll do like a top 10 list or something uh, as, we get, as we get much closer. You know anything for you. <laughs> Great stuff, Jessica. Really enjoyed that. Really enjoyed chatting with you as ever. Any chance you'll be in uh, Tucson this year? You bet I will. I'm actually moderating a panel on essentially crisis comms in the industry. Um, oh, that should be should be an interesting one. Oh my God! I, all right. Well, I, I've got to. Uh, yeah, we got to get that's a that has the potential to to shake some stuff up. I'm going to be there. Tucson conference is great for those that don't know. Uh, University of Arizona. It is open to the public. Amazing. You mean it's the, in, the three-day industry Bacchanal, where we yes. where we then attend a couple of panels. That's basically it. It's sure. all about the networking, but it's all about the panels. They've done such a great job. No, they they do a tremendous job. Yeah, and so seeing it, so many young folks who are excited about working in the sport and passionate about the industry, kind of, I always leave feeling good about the future. Yes. Well, well I'm going to be there. We'll have a big in the money representation out there and thrilled that you're getting to be on the panel. I dug up video at some point of the panel we did with Marshall. And I have to say, you know, with 
with with distance, I, I doesn't feel as self-aggrandizing to say, I think we did a really good job. I, I, was I think we good. did a great job. <laughs> Folks can dig for that and you can sign up. I'll give all the specifics of where to buy tickets, et cetera, coming up. But uh, we encourage people to go out there and, and, and join us. And especially if you're thinking about getting involved in the industry, it's, it's, a, it's a must attend. And it's at a typically pretty good time of the year, unless you're trying to get over to the Hong Kong International Races, which I'm going to have to let pass this year, but we'll get there one day. I'll just, just be going back to parks. <laughs> a little bit easier commute, Tucson to parks. Um, check out Jessica on the mic at parks. Hopefully we're going to be doing a lot more with them as well. We'll be talking soon, my friend. Thank you, PTF. In this next segment, we're going to take a look at our Adelphi Performance of the Week, brought to you by Adelphi Racing Club. As many of you know, very happy not just to read ads for Adelphi, but I'm also a member of the team, and I've absolutely loved it. When we had the opportunity to do another deal with Adelphi for the upcoming season, I wanted to make sure that I stayed involved on the ownership side. Not only is it great to be able to share content about my experiences, but I just love it. I think this is a great approach to horse ownership. I've learned so much from a handicapping point of view and met so many great people. The level of communication from Matt Kater and the Adelphi team and the chance to have access to other members of the team, whether that's Joe Migliori on the Bloodstock side or Ray Handel on the training side, it's really just been a tremendous experience all around and so great to be in the paddock this summer at Saratoga with runners in. We came close. We had that really good second with Jem Min Ten, but uh, the best is yet to come, I think, as far as my relationship with the Adelphi partnership goes. And for this week's Adelphi Performance of the Week, we are going to look down to Parks. And we're going to talk about Next, who was such an impressive winner of the Greenwood Cup, the Grade 3. I mean, this was expected. The horse was 1-5. to But still, anytime you win by 25 lengths, I think that's worth commemorating with a Performance of the Week type effort. And this one came back really strong on the clock as well for this son of not this time who uh, covered the mile and a half in uh, 233.28. Good for a 104 buyer speed figure. Very impressive stuff from next in that uh, Greenwood Cup. And we'll definitely shout out the owner, Michael A. Foster, and uh, William D. Cowens, the trainer, for that terrific effort from next in the Greenwood Cup. That's this week's Adelphi Performance of the Week. Going to be hearing a lot more about Adelphi over the upcoming weeks and months. If you want to learn more on your own, in the meantime, check out the website, AdelphiRacing.com. There's a ton of great info on there. And you also have a chance to reach out to Matt directly if you have questions. He's Matt at AdelphiRacing.com. Follow along on social media as well, on Insta at Adelphi underscore racing, and on Twitter at Adelphi Club. This is, once again, just a terrific collaborative horse ownership experience that offers a fiscally sustainable approach to horse ownership. Adelphi Racing may well be the right fit for you. Learn more at AdelphiRacing.com. Next up on the show, we bring back our friend from Saratoga. I can't believe I was in Saratoga five days and didn't get to see this man's face. A testament to how busy we both are with our lives. But hopefully the next time we'll get to hang out in a proper old school fashion. He is uh, the co-founder of the In the Money Media Network, Jonathan Kitchen. What's up, JK? How was your weekend? It was good. It was good. Yeah, I'll, you know, we were laying low. Obviously, like we had the eight weeks of the summer. Then we had uh, the Italy trip, and then I was in Austin. And then we got back here. We basically locked ourselves in the house. Last night was the first night we ate out 
this week that we, we went to Salibo last night for the first time in, in, a, in a long time. And, uh, and, uh, yeah. And then, uh, Jovanina found out she's like allergic to the nail stuff that she uses, Uh-oh. which was causing her eyes to have this weird reaction. So we've just been locked in, locked in the house, put her in a big bubble and until we got that all figured out. So we've just been laying low. Time for some new nail stuff. It sounds like. Oh yeah. We're making the switch up. We're making the switch up. <laughs> we had a good time. We did the, we went over to Pitney Meadows. We did like the family run there on Saturday night. That would, that was, it got a little bit rained on late, but it was cool. Perrin, uh, Perrin was a trooper. She did the two mile walking route. Then there were, uh, there, there were s'mores and pizza after she was all there. Uh, she was all there for that, but it was just, it was nice being up in town and it was nice getting that, getting that weather back in Brooklyn. Now back to school, all those kind of vibes going on. And one of the biggest things going on, JK, is we're really sitting down. We're starting to plan all of our Breeders' Cup coverage because, you know, every year I feel like we've done a little bit more than the year before. And I think it's going to be the same. And obviously we do an absolute ton of stuff free. And then for folks wanting more, we have our entire uh, In the Money Plus stuff. We're going to have that whole package. We'll get you details on that. I'm going to finalize that. I want to do that thing where we do a big push right before Keeneland where folks can do, if you just do the one month, you get all the Keeneland stuff we're going to do. And there's going to be special stuff there as well, as well as all the BC stuff. And these next two weekends, I mean, this is where sort of the the rubber hits the road. I mean, it's been very publicized. There's a lot of horses who are training up uh, when it comes to the Breeders' Cup, but there's a lot of horses that are going to be making their next starts in the next two weeks. And then we also have all this international stuff. And we got to figure out how we're going to cover that with uh, the big day at Longchamp on Sunday. Is there a particular prep race coming up in the next two weekends? And you can find them all over at uh, breederscup.com under the challenge series tab. Is there a particular race you're, you're really looking forward to seeing that might give some breeders cup clues? Um, you know, I, I would say that I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing, um, uh, who, who's really going to get me here? I, I want to see Tamara run back, right? I want to see, uh, see if she can kind of find that. I want to see Prince of Monaco run back as well. Um, ran a little bit slower last time than he did two starts back, but if he can kind of run back to that race, two starts back, he's the type of singleable horse, I think, uh, in the juvenile. So I guess it's those two. I want to see Tamara run back and I want to see, uh, and I want to see, uh, Prince of Monaco run back. So you you're uh, you're already starting to think a little bit in terms of places where you can plant a flag for the for for the Breeders' Cup betting challenge. That's what I'm that's what I'm intuiting there. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, it's 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 since 2014. I've played in the BCBC every year, and and it's it's kind of the culmination of the year. I feel like I feel like a lot of of the of the opinions you form and create throughout the year. I, I, I look at them always in the terms of like, okay, who's going to win today? But I'm also gathering information as I go along to, to create some heavy opinions. I mean, if you think back to the, to the Breeders' Cup betting challenge successes that I've had, um, I, I, all of them have been opinions that I formulated earlier in the year, not so much, uh, you know, leading up to that one day, right? Newspaper of record was one that, that, I, that I, you know, I, I really kind of fell in love with early. City of Light fell in love with early uh, even trying to beat accelerate which back which backfired on me those are those are all opinions that that that, that I formulated earlier Nick's go um you know uh even last year getting beat cave rock and it, it's it's but that's the way I, I I choose to to attack it so um it's just those are the days like that's the day that you have opportunities to really 
you know, have a year changing score. And, uh, and so I always kind of point to that mentally throughout the year. You'll be, uh, you'll be looking to go back in there double barreled. I presume two entries, two entries all the way. Yeah. One entry is, uh, is, is knife to a gunfight. So I, I, I will, I, I would almost rather not play if that makes sense. It's like a zero or two for me. I don't think I would ever want to limp into this. I mean, obviously I would, I would take one over none just, you know, and see what you can make happen. But, um, but I, I'd almost rather, I almost rather not play. It's interesting. I was having this conversation and we'll get into it on a, we're going to have the return of the pro player diary soon. Sean Borman's getting anxious to podcast, but he said something interesting the other day of the, the, the path he's formulating. He felt like he might be able to just do it with one. And you know, what I said to him is similar to what you said. Like you can, if with two, then you, you can be, you can be almost right and still have a chance to, to, to get it done. I felt like from an equity point of view, you made more sense. I thought that was interesting that he, he was like, had strong enough opinions, which hopefully he'll share along the lines that he felt like he could almost, uh, he could almost just get away with one, but it, it's, yeah, but if you can do it with, if you can do it with one, then do it with two, right? Like do it with one and do that thing that you, that you want have that one and have that game plan and do whatever that one game plan was. You're going to be, was going to be, you've already got that laid out. Then take the other one and make another game plan that, that, like you said, can protect you a little bit, even when you're, even when you're wrong, you're still right. I mean, I mean, I can think back to, to both seconds in the Breeders' Cut betting challenge and I was wrong, but, but, but was right because of the way I played it. You know, I mean, I didn't like, what was the horse? Glass Slippers, the, the one that Sean kind of turned me on to right. when I was in the Chick-fil-A line. I didn't right. like the horse. I had other opinions, but I used, which kept me in the, kept me in the game. Um, and then at, at Del Mar, um, uh, the, 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 uh, Eclipse horse that won uh, Aloha West uh, didn't like that horse, but used defensively and kept me in the game. So, um, I think if you can, if you can have two, it, it gives you a lot more options. And maybe especially this year with there being, um, these two races after the classic, you know what I mean? Cause I'm guessing, I don't know for sure, but whatever plan Sean is charting, pro- I'm guessing probably ends in the classic. So then there's still this year, there's still two races after. So it, it, all the more reason why I think it makes sense to, to try to go in there, uh, to try to go in there double barreled. I do want to chat a little more about Breeders' Cup stuff. I got to get to this great question we had about the whole quickening versus uh, grinding uh, thing. Um lengthening i guess you'd, you you'd call it but let's just to button up this this part of the conversation chandelier stakes october 7th at santa anita that's where tamara is listed as po- only possible not probable in the blood horse no it's not blood horse excuse me it's the horse racing nation.com stakes tracker so we'll see if that uh we'll see how that goes and then prince of monaco listed um, in a few places, um, let me see if I can find what the next one is. Actually, interestingly, on this, not listed until the the juvenile, which seems strange to me, right? Wouldn't you think they would want to prep with him? Um, if he were to train up, would, is that something that you would uh, – could, could you see yourself landing on him in that spot? I, yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't – I'm a little I, worried about him, honestly. Well, I mean, here's the thing. Like – 
if there's a couple of people that if they want to train up, I'm going to trust them, right? If, if Todd decided to train up, trust them. Bob, trust them. Chad, trust them. Brad Cox, trust them. You know, if, if they want to train up, I don't necessarily have a problem with it. Um, and, and so, yeah, I mean, the one thing about Prince of Monaco is, like I said, like he had that two, two back, that number was really fast. The last number was a little bit slow. So now, now I have to kind of guess a little bit. And I'd rather him run in the uh, American Pharaoh and then prove it, prove one or the other. Then I can, then I know, but now I'll be guessing if he trains up. I mean, obviously you could see some A minus works, A minus works, that type of stuff, buzzy work type things that can lead you to believe that you're going to see the the race from two back. But um, without a prep, you'll never know. It's just incredible just going through these challenge series races, how many of them there are. This is going to be interesting. We'll figure out exactly how we're going to get it all covered. You'll be with me on Horse Player Happy Hour this weekend. That's one place I feel like we can dive into these. Maybe we'll even pull in an international guest, assuming we have PPs from uh, from Longchamp by then. If we have final decks, if not, we might do something special for those long chopper races. Cause I think it, it just helps so much. I mean, I don't know. You don't do this as much as I do. So um, let me ask you your opinion, but I find when I handicap these big European preps going in, it really helps me solidify my opinions coming out and help me finalize what we're going to do with some of these European contenders for the breeders cup. How much do you pay attention to these big international winning your in preps uh, beforehand? Um, not really. Um, not really. I, I, I'm the type of person where there's about three or four people that I listen to when it comes to, um, the international horses. And I allow my opinions to be formulated based solely on that. Um, I listen to Craig Burnick who follows quite a bit because of, of his operation over there. I listen to Vanessa. I listen to Nick Luck. Uh, and I listen to whatever you say based on all of your, your connections over there and conversations as well as what you can, you know, pick up from, from Rob, Rob Dove or from, from uh, uh, whoever else is kind of sharing with you. And then I take that information. I take those five groups of information and then I make my decisions based off of a little bit of extra, like kind of video work. And then I kind of know where I'm at. Just one quick correction around here. It's Rob Dove, one of the top ten pro punters in the UK today. You got it. You got. I didn't want to steal your. I didn't want to steal your line. (laughs) It's okay. We got it. We got it in there. We got it in there in the end. Let's do this question. Maybe we'll return to Breeders' Cup stuff if we have some time. But let's do this question about the different types of turf runners, the gallopers versus the quickeners. Now, you more than most people I know, maybe more than anybody I know, look at these pace figures when it comes, the internal pace figures when it comes to these turf horses. And I know you have a little equation that you do. Can you see in the extra bit of work with turf figures that you do, can you like visually identify just in the numbers, the difference between a quickener and a galloper? For me, it's something I do much more visually than with numbers, but boy, wouldn't it be cool to quantify it? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's quantifiable and it's all, it's something that, that I got from, from like Paul Matisse and Duke Matisse. Um, and you can do it using time form. I mean, it's, it's a little, it's tricky, but you can do it using time form, but essentially what, what you do is you, you just look at the pace figures of the horse and then you try to, you know, you can find out whichever you feel the most comfortable with, but it's basically established kind of a midpoint of the race. And, and, you know, I'm looking at a horse right now named Mo Fox given who's running on at Churchill on Friday. Uh, you know, that, that kind of that that second 
third pace figure is like 99. And then the final number is a 90, which to me, you know, Paul and, and the guys would call that like a downline. And so that's not necessarily a quick end. That horse did all of their running early and kind of just kind of cruised in. So that wouldn't necessarily be a, a quick end type for me. I'm trying to find one that would look like a quick end. So here's one that's got like a 53 early pace figure and then finaled at a 72. So you can, that difference between the 53 and the 72 is what I would start trying to look at is like the identifying point between uh, for the, that, that, that kind of that number, that quicken. Um, so yeah, I mean, it is, it is to a certain extent, quanti- a certain extent it is quantifiable. You can kind of get a, a, an idea for, for, for that. I'm trying to look at like another allowance race. Like it, uh, like here's another example of Theodore Grace, who's running in the fourth on Friday at Belmont or Aqueduct. Uh, the horse has like an 86 early number and then a 99. So you could kind of quantify that as a 13 quicken and then compare it to other horses. And once you do that enough, you can kind of identify what is quick and what's not. Um, and then I, you know, and then, I mean, obviously it's something that can happen visually at the higher level with big horses, you know, with, with, you can, you know, for me, like bricks and mortar was like a grindy type, but I could be wrong about that. I just remember him being feeling kind of grindy. Uh, Goldakova feels like a quickener type to me. Um, you know, and, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's not an exact science that I've perfected, but it does lead me. It's very helpful in paceless turf races when you just take the horse that has the best turn of foot, because that will typically lead you in a direction where they can get themselves out of, out of trouble in, in, in a situation where the pace isn't fast in front of them. I think of those quickeners as the horses that have that ability Chad Brown has trained several of them to just sort of put the race to bed in a matter of strides. You know, they might be last coming into the lane and then you, you blink your eye and they're, and they're right there in, in, in front. And they've made a sustained move around the turn to get in that position. I decided to ask our man, Rob Dove, one of the top 10 pro punters in the UK today about this question. And his answer was probably all in all, it's a bit too simplistic to just divide horses into these two categories, but he would say that quickeners do things on the bridle more. They travel better during their races, and you could also attribute it to having a higher top speed with those quickeners, whereas the gallopers, sometimes they need a strong pace or they can look a little lazy in their races, but they have more of a sustained pace. Then he went on to say that feels like all the O'Brien and Appleby runners can come across as gallopers just because of how well they sustain pace into the finish longer. Um, and he said that might be have to do something with the way that they're trained, or maybe it's something in their breeding, having all that stamina that Galileo's and Dubawi's do. So I thought that was an interesting way to look at it. Uh, Appleby's an interesting one because – he has trained these horse, these, you know, Breeders' Cup Mile winners. Breeders' Cup Mile is a race I associate more with a quickener than a galloper. But, of course, we've seen him uh, win it two years running with horses that seem to be able almost to do both things. And, and maybe that's to Dove's point about, about trying to put them in one category or the other as being a little bit simplistic. Certainly over in the Woodbine Mile last year, um, I mean, I guess one thing about that I'll say just thinking back to it is Modern Games did – did sort of put that race to bed in a matter of strides and gallop out where he just kept, where he just kept finding. Whereas I don't know, maybe I could be wrong about this and I don't want to put people away trying to bet against master of the seas, but I just feel like the last two times we saw him, he just 
takes a really long time to get uh, to get going and to get to top speed. And almost to Dove's point about not traveling, I'm not saying he doesn't travel, but he looks like he's working really hard just to make the front, but then with extra ground, just continues to go faster and faster, further and further. And I think one interesting example to bring up, you mentioned bricks and mortar, thinking back to that Breeders' Cup turf that we that we disagreed about years ago. And the question was with that Anthony Van Dyke horse, unfortunately, the ill-fated Anthony Van Dyke horse, who um, I thought was like classic galloper in that, like he just took, he took forever to get going. And then like, as it looked to me, like he was about to, you know, actually do something impressive looking. That's when he had this little bit of trouble that a more agile horse would have just re-picked up and, and been fine. And it was game, set, match for the Anthony Van Dykes of the world, a horse that, you know, went on to run whatever, my own three quarters, et cetera, you know, a real, maybe had run that before and after. Anyway, that's what I think of when I think of a, of a galloper versus a, versus a quickener. Hopefully that helps. And it's, I do think that's right to not think of it as this binary thing or not think of it as this, you know, this end all be all when it comes to handicapping turf races. But I do think it's something that can help you understand turf horses, both at home and abroad. Any further thoughts on this uh, specific issue, JK? No, but I think it makes sense, though. I mean, I, you know, I think it's an important aspect of, 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 of turf racing because the, the thing that's most important about turf racing, I think, is, is trip. And, you know, it's especially the, the modern turf racing is, is lack of pace or, you know, or, or, or how the pace is, is going to unfold. And I think that answering the question of what kind of horse you're dealing with, a galloper or a quickener, can, can, can kind of lead you in the direction of horses that – you know, in a, in a, in a nice big full field, a horse drawn outside, that's a galloper. Okay. That, that you should be able to work out some sort of a trip, not get stopped. Uh, you know, you get a quickener who's, who's drawn to the outside. He's going to lose a bunch of ground. You know, you like to think that their kick's going to probably be a little bit slower when they come home and, and vice versa. So um, I, I think that it is an important part of it. Different ways to look at it. I think what you said about trips is really important. And here's a point. I don't know if I've ever made on these airways, but they're, so much more important, I think, and you, you get more, I think you get a little bit more random results in USA turf racing than in foreign turf racing because of the tight two turns that most of these turf races are, are run at. Because it just, it creates more opportunities for the best horse to lose. The best horse doesn't always win in Europe, but form and form handicapping to me have more primacy over there because, you know, you're running a straight mile. Look, and there's there's a million exceptions to this. I'm speaking very generally, and it's a, just a concept I want to get forward. There's there's fewer. You're going to have more bad trips around the tight two turns than you are in the straight mile because everybody's going to have a chance theoretically to to find a run more easily in a lot of European turf racing. And you'll hear them, and the way they look at form is way different. It just it has more primacy than the than it does over here. Now, I still think when it comes to USA turf racing. Looking at form, the idea of who beat who, obviously you have to take in under what circumstances, but the idea of, of who beat whom is uh, is underrated still, I would say, by the way that most people look at turf racing in the USA, but it is, uh, there, there is a reason for that, but it's still you know, I think explains that difference to some degree. How much do you look at that, JK, and you're capping the, the who beat whom stuff? Um, it, uh, not to... Not too much. I, 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 I let, I, you know, I let, I'm not much of a class person in terms of who beat who. 
a more of a class person in terms of the, the figures, right? I think the figures are can tell you the class. Now there is some things to it, right? Like did did uh, did so and so look so and so? Did so and so look in Italian in the eye and run past her? Uh, so White Beam, for instance, who won the Diana, you, you got to give her some credit for for running past who I think is the best older turf mare in the in the in the country. But at the same time, if the figure is very, very, very slow, I would almost kind of defer to something was off that day, you know? And, and so, yeah, but not, not totally. I see, I see, I, I see the point you're leading me down, but not, not fully. Do I, do I commit to that? Yeah. And, and I don't think you should fully. I mean, again, in horse racing, very few things are, are black and white and it doesn't pay to be, you know, overly, uh, didactic or locked into one way of thinking about this stuff but it's all it's all you know turf racing's different and figure the the figures are much more class oriented in in a number of ways and and i do think that sometimes what i've learned definitely what i've learned watching their races over there over the years has informed and made me a better turf handicapper here but there are some reasons why it's fundamentally different. I think that's to your point about trips. And when you talk about trips and turf racing, you're not only talking about what trip they got last time, but what trip you envision them getting today. I know that plays into your stuff. Well, I'll let you respond to that and then we'll let you get out of here. No. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I think that when you identify, when you, when you find a way to identify what kind of horse you're dealing with, I think it's easier to imagine the kind of trip they're going to get or the trip they're not going to get. But I think that just looking at horses as a, a looking at a turf horse as they're all the same, I think sometimes that can kind of mislead you uh, into to the to the trip prediction. And sometimes with dirt racing, I think you can make more of a case of, and not always, but again, just generally the rate the trip they got last time might well be the trip they got this time. It can feel a little more, bit more jumbled up and random in turf racing. Is that fair to say? No, absolutely. Yeah, I mean that's 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 what turf racing is. It's why it's why some horse players like it because of the randomness of it. The best horse doesn't always win. You can find bigger prices. I think that's right. But people like you and I who really want to try to be a bit more, for lack of a better word, deterministic about it, it can be frustrating. JK, you're going to be back with us on Thursday. Tune in, folks. Horse player happy hour, four to five. You can sign up for the game now. Sugar, I got to send in that. Uh, I got to send in those races we're going to do. Should we go all Belmont? Is the weather going to be okay? Yeah, I, think, I haven't heard anything. But yeah, let's do all Belmont. And also, uh, I checked in with Maddox, its racing manager. And even he has heard both things about Prince of Monaco running in a prep or training up. So uh, no decision made there yet. All right. We'll see how it all goes uh, going forward. Join us live. Hit us up with your questions. If you can't be there live, you can do them. Um, email it through the contact page on inthemoneypodcast.com or um, join us live. It's much more fun. We had a great conversation last week and we'll do it again. JK, we'll be talking. All right. See you, Pete. We're thrilled to continue our partnership with Woodbine for this 2023 season. This weekend features two Canadian-bred steaks for three-year-olds, one for fillies, and another for open company. The Breeders' Steaks is the third leg of the Canadian Triple Crown and will feature three-year-olds at 12 furlongs on the grass. Always an exciting race. Don't miss out on the action. For more information, go to woodbine.com, and you can listen along here later in the week. Nick Tamaro. And Drew Coatney will be going over the last four races at Woodbine. You can also read uh, Jackson Muniz's uh, coverage daily, any day they run anyway, up at Woodbine. You can find that over at InTheMoneyPodcast.com. That's going to do it for this edition of the show. I want to thank Jessica and JK for joining us and sharing their thoughts on uh, what was 
a fun weekend of racing. And also looking ahead a little bit to the Breeders' Cup and talking turf racing, handicapping as well. A question we often get asked here at In The Money Media. We'll thank our founding partners, 10 Strike Racing. You know, we always love to root for the purple and black around here, as well as the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation. Got to get Kim on again soon. Kim Weir, first lady of the In The Money Media uh, podcast, so we can talk a little bit more about that great day I had at Wallkill last week, getting to see the Second Chances program in action. One of the things that really separates the, the TRF from other aftercare organizations all of whom do uh, very nice jobs, the accredited ones anyway. So uh, that was great experience. If you want to donate, trfinc.org slash players. That's the place to go. We've got a few whiskey bottles left. I'm surprised, actually. We haven't had more takers on this. It's a great opportunity to support the TRF and get a nice little whiskey for the fall. We've got our four-year-old rye, aged an additional four months in apple brandy barrels, a very New York spirit. And to channel my inner Nigel Tufnell, I'll throw this in there. And it makes a great gift, too. Most of all, though, I want to thank all of you, the listeners, for making these shows so much fun to do. This show has been a production of In The Money Media. I'm Peter Thomas Fornital. May you win all your photos!